This Short Code podcast is a proud member of the MedEd Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com. Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Short Code podcast. Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews by students for students. Subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcode.com. Welcome back to the Short Coat Podcast, a production of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today is the ever talented Tony Rosenberg. Hey! The lovely inside and out Aline Sanduk. The magical Rachel Schenkel. Hey guys. And the always uh, <laughs> deliciously food making uh, Irisa Mahaparn. I'm sorry, I, I should have written that out a little better, <laughs> but I kind of forgot that that uh, that Arisa's brought food today. Yeah, I call it a sampler of Iowa because it's made from all like organic local Iowa ingredients. Where'd you, oh, where'd you oh get these ingredients? Oh, um, so I actually recently on the advice of one of um one of my friend's mentors, an ER phys- physician, because that makes it a lot more like you know. Yes, it's yeah. official advice. Um, right. I, subs- I signed up for a CSA or one of those community subscribe agriculture boxes. And oh my God, I love it so much. The nice. portion, yeah, the portion oh so generous and I'm eating vegetables nonstop. It sounds like an ad for like one of the subscription <laughs> services. No, this will be an ad. I'm eating vegetables <laughs> nonstop. It's a, it's a blue apron <laughs> ad actually. No, it's not. It's a local Iowa farm that's very bee friendly, sustainable and, and, and believes very strongly in food justice. And if I said their name, would that be an advertisement? We'd get sued by the FDA. Well, I am excited to sample these delights, mm-hmm. um, which include what? Oh, why don't you guys try them first, and then I'll tell you what it is. Well, well, <laughs> well. Before we do that, uh, I just want to tell our listeners what we have in store today. We have a uh, first of all, we have a crew of rising M threes. I'm doing right. Well. Rising no. M fours. Right. I mean, well, I always Not get confused. No. July. I always right? get confused. Are I'm you ride, rising? I'm riding you're that rise, up. You're rising. rising. You say the the thing you're going to when you say rising, mm-hmm. though. Like, right. Yeah. So I always do it backwards. I always do it backwards. Oh, I see what yeah. you're directing him on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. we've got some future M4s. We've got a future... Rising. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it anymore. <laughs> Your future M4. Well, and Arisa, mm-hmm. you are also a future... I want to make sure I get this right. You're a future M4. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you are all the same. Consumer all the same here. Well, so. yeah, I just, I, you know, that's kind of a confusing phrase though, because yeah. everyone's a future M four once they get into med school. True. <laughs> ah, except for oh, actually, never mind. We I shouldn't bring that up. I, I'm just, I, I just had to say it. I appreciate that, Tony. You're Thank welcome. you. For Thank the you. Smart ass. Yes. Remember that one girl? That's what I'm here and, for. And Aline Sanduk, you're, of course, as I'm we a, know, an MD-PhD candidate. You're a rising M6G. So a perennial M-something. <laughs> I'm a forever M2. Um, you're like the Peter Pan of med school. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and I do live in Never Never Land, a.k.a. the lab. <laughs> yep, yep. We've got a bunch of uh, listener questions today. Uh, mm-hmm. Eric is asking about life experiences uh, that prepared you for this med school journey. Armand writes in to give us his method for combating test anxiety. And Jen wants us to think about physician bias against obese patients. Plus, I'm sure we'll fit in some news. Uh, and our short coat podcast key fob giveaway is still kicking, so uh, stick around today to find out how to get your very own for free. But back to the snacks. Yes, back to the snacks. What did you make for it? You made, these are made from 
from by yourself. But you made these is what yes. I'm trying to say in a very articulate <laughs> way. What did you make? Yeah. So first we have some, it's kind of like my signature little thing. It's called cat bread. As you can see, it is oh bread. What a shock that you made bread about cats. <laughs> it's got bits of real cats in it. Yeah. yeah it's, so you know, it, no, it's good. There's a high possibility that there's cat hair in this. I wish Delicious. that the listeners could see these because they're so cute. They're like shaped like little tiny cats and have tails. Yeah. They, oh, they, they got little ears. cat ears. Also, for those who missed it, that was an Anchorman quote. So people don't just think I'm oddly creepy. Oh. Even oh, though wow. I am oddly creepy. <laughs> It was an anchor man. I didn't cast that at all. I thought you were just asking if it had actual cats in it. No, I mean, it was. It talking, does. It's like <laughs> Sex Panther and Anchor Man. It's oh. got bits of real panther in it, so you know it's good. Right. I got yeah. absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Well, we'll pass it around. Yeah. Let's, uh, of course. let's have one. Oh my gosh. This is a brioche base. I want to eat the cutest one. Delicious. <laughs> and then, and then oh, while that's going around, what else do we have there? Um, okay, so we have just a sampler platter. I'm going to call it the Iowa sampler because it's made from, like, as I said, all organic. All local ingredients grown within Iowa from my CSA package. Shout nice. out to Super Awesome Farm. May thanks, I, thanks may I have one of those cat breads as yes, well? Yes, you may. Okay. Can I eat one of these like potatoes? There's nothing I like thingies. more than bread. You're just yeah. like any animal. <laughs> yeah, I didn't eat lunch. I'm really hungry. Oh, chow down, dude. <laughs> Try some first. So what Rachel mm. is eating is a fingerling potato that's been sliced into like this little biscuit shape, mm. and it's got spring asparagus, very fresh asparagus, and I'll be the some zucchini that. on it. <laughs> it's it is, so good. Oh do, my gosh. It was literally drawn out of the ground this Wednesday. Whoa. That is pretty damn fresh. That mm. is pretty fresh. Isn't there a thing where like people hear other people eating and get like irrationally angry or something? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, the, the lip smacking. Mm -hmm. There is a thing. Um, I think, but I think most, <laughs> I think most podcast listeners uh, enjoy a little <laughs> lip smacking with their podcast. I'm sure there's an ASMR oh, subscriber yeah. out there who could really enjoy this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And guys, this is why you should come to our medical school. If you do, you can eat my food. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a hella good cook. But oh, you've got is. you've got uh, a year left. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or you can meet uh, Aline and know her for the next 15 years that she's here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. I'll be here for a long time. Okay, wait, Rachel, what did you just eat? Did you just... I just ate the oh, tail. Okay. <laughs> it's really, really okay. good. Is that one? What is this one? Mm. Oh, that one? That's like a, f that's, that's a um, frittata made with Parmesan cheese and oregula. Mm. Arugula? Arugula. Yeah, or as the French call it, roquette. Irregular. <laughs> Irregular. Are you sure you're in the right line of work? I feel like you have real potential in the food. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. No, Massey, my parents ran a Thai restaurant when I was growing up. <laughs> oh, really? No mm. kidding. Yeah, I would never want to run a restaurant. It's so it's stressful. Hard. Yeah. So good, though. You know, my dad left in the morning before he woke up. He didn't come back until after, like, until very, very late. Mm. I like how you're like, I wouldn't want to run a restaurant because it's so stressful. So instead, let's do medicine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. But seriously, between, I like I'm not gonna degenerate any of like any of the sufferings of surgeons and a lot of medicine, but restaurant business, especially if you're a one man show doing everything, and you just moved to the United States, and English mm. is your second language, and you're trying to keep your family and you know everything, that's really stressful. And also, you're definitely gonna get paid as a surgeon, but in the restaurant yep. business, you can have no. good months mm -hmm. and bad months. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's why my dad hates the Padres. Whenever the Padres would play in San Diego, like no one ate out, so. He hates oh. the Padres so much. Oh. I hate the Padres too now because of that. <laughs> That's the official short coat podcast stance on the San Diego Padres. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we hate them. We yeah. For screwing up my Reese's father's restaurant mm -hmm. business. Do yeah. you, listeners, do you hate the San, San Diego Padres? We'd like to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> and what you are about to eat is radish um, over is some sliced radish over mm -hmm. tzatziki sauce. Tzatziki sauce. So, everything is I made. Is that some fresh dill? 
Yeah, that's fresh dill. I, I knew that. Yeah. It's also fresh yogurt. You know why? Because they also made the yogurt. What? I have a yogurt maker. That's really cool. I make a lot of yogurt. How do you do it? Um, I add a culture. I wait. I scald milk. I let it cool, cool on room temperature. I add a little bit of culture and I put it in a yogurt maker and wait overnight. Dang. My wife once made breast milk yogurt. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> For real? Did you try it? Of course. Why am I not? She lit up. She Dude. made. <laughs> That's okay. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. Right. I'm not judging well, you. I also it? don't know what to say. That's what, fine. What did it taste like? I don't remember. <laughs> it was because, that bad, huh? What else were you eating? Blocked it out of your memory. Mm-hmm. I'm sure so it wasn't traumatic. horrible. Yeah. I once had this idea um, to make, you know, kosher milk. It could be like breast milk products because that would all be kosher, right? For, really? Oh my god. Yeah. Can you just drink soy milk? What? No. Mm. Is cow milk? You could do soy milk, but soy milk is bad. I didn't realize cow milk wasn't kosher. Well, you can't like mix I'll make some it. dairy and meat. Yeah. <laughs> so with breast milk, though, you could totally mix the dairy and meat. Might be a like wide open field of. Uh, Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> I mean, it sounds never like, thought yeah. about that. Yeah. Wasn't that ice cream uh, shop that got closed down for selling breast milk ice cream? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. That was a thing. There's lots of. It ways. was a thing for about two weeks. Ooh. And then they. I mean, it's kind of weird, but like, if somebody wants to make money selling their breast milk, and somebody yeah. wants to like eat Buy some it? ice cream made out, we of are. Milk, this is the like, land of opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Have we fed <laughs> all of America. the babies though that need the breast milk first before we Just start give them some of the bre- breast milk ice cream? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there is because we do have like breast milk banks and everything. It's rather expensive, but like for women who want to breastfeed their children but can't for some reason. Mm-hmm. There aren't many of those banks though. I think there's only like. No, we got a, we got a lovely the, one here in Iowa. We do, but yeah. there's only We're like also like the only the tertiary country. care center in like the state. Oh, of that's Iowa. a really good point. And we have two plan surgeons. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of like Facebook exchange groups though. Oh, like, people I'm... do it informally, which I'm not sure, sure is such a good idea because we test it here. But uh, um, I wonder um, how expensive fresh milk ice cream would be. I don't know. Probably like at least five hundred dollars a pint. You want to know. <laughs> you want to know expensive. Isn't this like a kink or something? Like some people really get off of this kind of stuff. I'm also, eating ice cream. I'm certain. Yeah. Is there a commission for it? Like, do you get a cut of the sales if you give the breast milk to? There's no way you be. No, you cannot be paid for um, if you donate to the breast bank. We have oh, many. Oh no, no, I know, but for the ice cream. We clearly oh. have many questions about <laughs> about I'm breast milk. For a friend. <laughs> I think something that might be more expensive than breast milk ice cream would be uh, cockroach milk. Ice cream. Oh, yeah. Which, oh, I that. Oh. I just learned, learned today was a thing. I mean, this is somewhat old news, but I did learn this week about cockroach milk ice cream. There's a company in uh, Cape Town, South Africa, that is uh, has been trying to make a go of uh, delicious cockroach milk ice cream. Sustainable, nature-friendly, nutritious, lactose-free. They also have plants. Irisa for cheese and yogurt. So, <laughs> How did you milk a cockroach? That is, yeah. an, that is a fantastic question. I could Grind not it up, find. Probably. No. It's probably like almond milk, right? Grind it up. Yeah. Make it no, like it's, extract the juice. No. <laughs> the it's juice. milk Ugh. from the cockroach. It's uh, not like c- almond milk where you push cockroaches press. Cockroaches are mammals? <laughs> they apparently they make some sort of milk no, for their it's babies. Got, it's gotta be mm. it's gotta be something processed to see because I uh, saw yeah. a video the other day for vegan cheese and I didn't believe it. But oh, it was like stuff nasty. I mean, I've never had Some it. Some of it's not bad. Yeah. If it's like the almond-based kind, 
I was, was cashew based. I want to say I want to say that from the articles that I read, it is literally a substance produced by cockroaches that they feed to their young. Uh, it's high in some sort of magical protein. In fact, this company wants to say it's a superfood like blueberries, onions, quinoa, kale. You know, I will say I'm surprised it took us this long to start using insects as a food source because they're so abundant. They're everywhere. Well, and I think the that, protein yeah, I, I content mean, is pretty high. Billions of people around the world eat insects on a, on the regular. So if you wrap bacon around it and make it crispy, I'll try just about anything. <laughs> well, that would disguise the problem. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, this re brings up a really interesting point about eating insects for sustainability reasons, because mm -hmm. oftentimes what we do is like mealworms. They're sheep to grow and everything. They don't they don't require that much processing. And they're this great source of protein that's very sustainable, very um, and sustains itself very, very readily. But when you added this component of processing it, it seems to me that like you needed to gather up a whole bunch of cockroaches and process it a specific way to get this um milk. There's a cricket farm here in Iowa City. Yes. That, um, it like it was in the paper. It, like grinds up cricket or like it grows mm -hmm. a bunch of crickets for this like granola bar company out in like Colorado and yeah. like make like cricket bars. I believe we've talked about it on the show. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in the distant yeah, past. Great. I mean, as far as the sustainability thing goes. Death is sustainable, but it doesn't mean I want to do it. <laughs> what what more sustainable thing is, you know, is extracting milk from live cockroaches? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's easy. Okay, well, the do you like milk chicken? is probably plentiful. Hey, hey, do you like chicken? Um, sure. Would you eat a chicken that that was raised on like bug pellets and stuff like that? Because that's also the same, more sustainable than just feeding them regular grain feed. Um, I have you seen I've only seen like one episode of Portlandia ever in my life and then it just got too <laughs> weird for me But the first episode I think is about a guy and They're eating a chicken and they want to know like everything about this <laughs> and he's Wait, like I know he's what you're like, talking about What my is the name episode. of this chicken? Like what did this chicken eat? Did, did he have, have a happy a life? Yeah, was it what is its nickname? So I would want to know all these things before I said yeah, maybe I'll eat that chicken <laughs> Irisa really what is on the water cracker? Oh, oh, the radish thing or the other? No, one? the other thing. <laughs> the meaty thing. Oh, that kind food. of looks like cat food. <laughs> cat food. I definitely. Yeah, I just totally ate cat food. <laughs> no, what, guys? Look, I just to say that I'm not praying you guys. I eat. Look. Uh, <laughs> I just. Don't. She ate one of my dog's biscuits. Why? I'm not never saying trusting anything. you again. I literally I thought I was, I was eating. I purposely. I like saw it there, and I was like, "That looks a little." I <laughs> knew it was cat food, and I ate it anyway. Because does that mean that I passed some type of test? Oh my god. Okay. First of all, cat foods. Cat cats have terrible taste. No, I it's want, not that bad. If I anyone want... from the Michelin Guide is listening, I would just like to point out for my future reference as being a judge one day. <laughs> I didn't eat the cat food. I just, I just instinctually knew not to eat it. Oh. Well, just in case. Irisa, I, I do not wish to um, denigrate your cooking skills because other than that, that was fantastic. But cat food is f nasty. No, it's okay. I obviously didn't make the cat food. It, it's gone from a guitar. It what? It's from a can. Tony, she didn't even make the cat food. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait.
Oh, like me. I'm like, glad I stuck with the cat bread and the potatoes. Oh, did you not eat it either? No. I'm the, am I the only one aside from Arisa who ate no. the... Holy smoke. Yeah, I'm sweating. You know what? I'm polite and I didn't want to leave food on my plate. That's... And I was like, I don't want to offend her. You know what? She I don't knew. like anyone that I don't like anyone that much. This is just... This is... This is Turnabout is fair play. But I have else... made y'all eat weird things on the show before. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but everything else is really good. Everything else yeah. is great. It's all organic, local, farm. Everything else was fantastic. You just gotta, just gotta be wise about your selection. <laughs> just gotta use your eyes. <laughs> and in fact, I will say that once you've eaten a cat food water cracker <laughs> delight, everything else tastes amazing. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad. <laughs> Okay. I feel like you should have put like, a, a little, little bit garnish on top of there. Yeah, you should have put some cilantro on it, Dan. Yeah, you should have like chopped up some like like scallions or something, put like a few of them on top, made it look oh my beautiful. God, that is a good idea. I should have done that. Then I maybe would have been more tempted. Or if you made it into like a pate and put it on a cracker. Mm. I'm gonna make somebody. Okay, into a so pate. next time. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just giving you ideas. Mm -hmm. Just no. never eat like meat based food that I reset prepares. Okay, and then and then I think you'll probably I knew it was suspicious because nothing else had uh, well, she also like, used to be a vegetarian. I think you're, you're a pescatarian now, mm -hmm. right? So, like, anything she makes with meat is, like, automatically, like, a little bit suspect. Wait, what kind of meat? Mind. Oh, I eat fish. No, what kind of... Oh. What kind of meat do we expect was in that cat? Like, okay, I'm. I'm never those... mind. You know what? No, no. I actually no. I went through and read all the ingredients to make sure that my cat was only getting the highest quality protein in a good amount. So this is mainly chicken. You just chicken. got what the highest us? quality protein, Dave. Yeah. I have a. I suddenly have a chicken. I suddenly have a silky smooth coat. <laughs> but yeah, that was um that was grilled chicken. Okay. Flavored. That's fine. Chicken grillers. Shreds. That's fine. I really, you know, personally, High quality it's just protein. chicken. Gross <laughs> no. chicken, but it's chicken. No, it is. And it's processed in the same way as human food. It just doesn't have I'm any of the MSG preservatives. Or oh, wait, it has preservatives. Sorry. It definitely has well, preservatives. Well, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm um, so happy you guys are my friends. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We're, we're, we're going to have to see about we're that. We're thinking about that. I'm happy that I'm rude enough to not eat something that looks like cat food. I'm happy I know you well enough to also not eat anything that looks like cat food. I am reevaluating my life choices. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. I so, I don't know if I can, but let's, let's hear from Jen, who wrote in wondering what you guys learn about a particular kind of uh, physician bias that you might have. Hi, I'm a new listener and am absolutely loving what I'm hearing. Good. I'm not sure if you've discussed this <laughs> before, but I think the issue of physician bias towards overweight, obese patients, especially female patients, is a huge issue and I'm interested to hear if they're discussing this at all in medical school curriculum. I have heard and read a lot of stories about healthcare professionals jumping to conclusions without listening to the patient and concluding that their symptoms are due to being overweight and do not offer substantial advice aside from losing weight. Good question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are lots of potential biases uh, in medicine, and uh, I'm virtually certain, as an obese person myself, <coughs> that this happens. I feel like I've experienced it. What do you guys think? Do you, do you, are you, I've seen it. I've seen it a lot. Definitely. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. What have you seen? Um, this was one of the only times I've written, um, like given feedback to a clerkship in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, it was on ob and it's like, I get it, you know, at a certain point, 
you know, being a doctor is your job. So anything that makes it longer or more complicated, it's a long day. I can understand just a baseline of, man, I was hoping to get out of here. That's fine. But it was, you know, a very overweight woman and she was having a C-section. It was like four in the afternoon and the attending I was working with and the resident were just talking about it and making these really rude, inappropriate comments. Um, and then when it was done, they realized that they had actually made the incision more lateral than they thought that they had. Um, and then they were joking about how like, oh, like, well, you're never going to see it anyway. And it's, I just was standing there thinking like, the patient's awake. There's just a, like a little oh, curtain here. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah. Um, it was it was the most appalling thing that I've ever witnessed in terms of, you know, disrespecting yeah. a patient in, in a way that they could hear it potentially. Yeah. So this was during the C-section. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't they don't put you asleep for that. It's just mm -hmm. they numb your bottom half. Oh, oh that's so inappropriate. Oh, yeah. Guys, I mean, would it have been any would would you guys be less appalled if she had been under and she hadn't heard that? I would be a less little bit appalled. less, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. mainly I'm appalled at the action, but I'm also offended that she knew and probably wouldn't ever trust providers ever again. Because it, it probably confirmed a fear she already had that people made comments about that. Yeah. And so now she in, knows. In fact, that is among the problems that is associated with um, any kind of bias is that it makes patients less likely to seek care because who the f wants to go through that? I'm swearing a lot today. Part of it is <laughs> Iris's fault, but <laughs> I think it's the cat food working its way through your it system. Wow. You're getting cattier. I, <laughs> um, yeah, in fact, um, I found a review of studies, uh, and if I can quote from it, healthcare providers often view obesity as an avoidable risk factor that impedes their ability to treat and prevent disease. As this is a largely unchallenged perspective on obesity, healthcare providers may be less self-aware of their propensity to and feel less pressure internally or from external sources to behave in a non-prejudicial way towards people with obesity. I'm certain that what Tony related is <clears throat> a is unusual in the sense that it was so public. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably much more common for people to have either biases that they're aware of or implicit biases, but they don't express them. Yeah, your brain is your own. You can think whatever you want mm -hmm. inside of that, you know, that realty that belongs to you. But the second it comes out of your mouth and it starts affecting people's care, that's a problem. Yeah. And I think from a surgical perspective too, like like those things do like come out of people's mouths more often just because they're like technical aspects to just like if you have a patient yeah. who's mm -hmm. obese. So like it doesn't like completely surprise me that they're like talking like that, but when they're awake, it just like has a whole different sort of right. impact. Well, thing. that's why I was saying like at a baseline, I can understand this is your job and this makes your job harder and it's going to take longer. And I can understand being a little bit internally frustrated with that, but to say it in a, in a way that the, the patient could have heard and it wouldn't be, you know, completely out of the realm of possibility that that actually did happen. You know, isn't there also evidence of like in the process of people going under, they would hear like 
mm-hmm. the physicians and prayers talking about stuff, and then it would like get incorporated into like nightmares that they would have afterwards. Ooh. I don't know about that part. I don't know about I that can part tell either. you from having been heavily sedated in the past that you are on occasion aware, um, and you are incorporating things that are in your environment into your sort of half dream state. I guess I do remember being put under for, I think I had my adenoids removed as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I remember having this really vivid, weird, colorful dream. And I think it was probably the physicians and nurses and stuff, but there were all these really weird block people. Mm -hmm. And I just remember like watching these (laughs) block people like, Walking around and doing their thing, and I was like, "Whoa, that's cool! I like, these, I like, I like these black people." Dude, when I was put under by surgery, like it was the most surreal experience of my life. Not because I had any experience like that, but because I closed my eyes one moment, and next thing you know, I was, I don't know, lying on a waiting room couch. Yeah, and even even with experiences like that, like we don't necessarily know that that's what you actually experienced, like during the procedure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I just know it. that you don't remember what happened, what you experienced during the procedure. Well, on, a, I, on, on a conscious yeah. level, mm-hmm. it was jaw surgery, so I'm so glad I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the problem, like to bring it back to the oh, oh sorry, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But I was just thinking about a podcast episode, I think of This American Life, that had Lindy West on it, and she talked about. So she's a She's a, a woman of the proportions that we're describing here. And she was talking about like a, a sort of feud that she had with Dan Savage, who had been her boss at one point, who like, you know, is a spoke. Is the, uh, the, the sex sex columnist. Yeah, Dan like Savage. huge okay. LGBTQ yeah. um, IA um, advocate. and But for some reason, like he had, you know, expressed un, unfavorable opinions about people who were overweight. And she was a colleague and, you know, they started to talk about this. And in the podcast, she made some really interesting points about how we look at obesity and how we treat it, not as like a medical condition, but as like a failure, like a personal failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Like, and she said something that I'll never forget, which is that like everyone considers fat people like temporarily not skinny people. Like they should be constantly applying Mm -hmm. themselves to losing the weight. Like. Mm -hmm. And once she accepted that, like, this is just how her body is, like, she stopped feeling so embarrassed and so, yeah, defective somehow. And I thought, I found that really empowering. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things that would fall into that, a similar category. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, it's like the more informed I get and the more that I see in a clinical setting, it's like, I don't, I don't even look at, you know, smoking cigarettes as a, like a character flaw. I don't look at, you know, someone with a alcohol use disorder as a character flaw or drug mm-hmm. use dis- like to me all of those things whether it's genetically based that they you know had a higher pr- like predisposition to developing those things or you know a stress response that ended up being something bigger it's like who am i to judge anyone for doing anything because it's not like i'm the pinnacle of yeah of health at all times i was gonna say you're not the pinnacle yeah Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but but also like i mean think about for instance how many how many doctors become addicted to Mm -hmm. uh opioids and things like that i mean i I, sometimes i think you know there for there but for the grace of whatever go Mm -hmm. i uh you know this could happen to me like none of us are exempt from biochemistry and biology that says, for instance, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I might not, uh, you know, I might get addicted to cigarettes or I might, you know, drink or I might, you know, like th- the reason people have these problems 
it has more to do with biology mm-hmm. and, and biochemistry circumstance. and circumstance yeah. and you know it's um and we're not we abs- we're not ones to judge that we haven't walked a, a mile in their shoes no exactly yeah. we don't exactly. know what's going on behind there and i can mm-hmm. tell you and i can tell you from my personal experience um being overweight um is no walk in the park mm-hmm. you know like it mm-hmm. is uh it's difficult it's not something that i would choose um and i don't think it's something anybody would choose you know what's really funny about everything you just said yes um i mean no I, Why do they say yes? Well, not, not yes, funny. tell me more. It's not amusing funny. how hard it is for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, that was the worst word I could have used. Not funny, but what was poignant is that I have heard um, gay people use that exact language. Like, if I could yeah. choose not to be gay, I would do it in a heartbeat. Like, this is such a difficult lifestyle, and yeah. people judge me, and, you know, it, it introduces so much difficulty in my life that if I could choose not to be, maybe I would. And I just found that really poignant. Like yeah. that, mm-hmm. that perspective is so mm-hmm. important. Th- this particular study I found, it said in one study of primary care providers, they were randomly assigned to evaluate the records of patients who are either normal weight or obese. Those who evaluated patients who were obese were more likely to rate the encounter as a waste of time and that, and mm-hmm. they would spend 28% Jeez. less time with the patient compared to those who evaluated normal weight wow. patients. Like they've already written that person off yeah. even before talking to them. And guess, okay. in another study, physicians may overattribute, they found that physicians may overattribute symptoms and problems to obesity and fail to refer the patient for diagnostic testing or to consider treatment op- options. Mm-hmm. So in, in this study of medical students, fictional patients with shortness of breath were 31% more likely to get lifestyle change recommendations if they were obese, and 18% more likely to receive medication to manage symptoms if they were normal, of normal weight. Mm. Wow. On one hand, we, on one hand, yes, people who, people who are obese can, um, can quite have a higher risk of being short of breath just for like mechanical reasons than people who are sure. not obese. Yeah. So I, I don't think that the medical student study was as, is as like, also, like, but they, it doesn't students. mean that they shouldn't get like a, a huge, mm-hmm. like a, the regular workup done. Right. The difference, exactly. the difference isn't that the the advice that they were giving was a problem. The difference is that the advice that they were giving was uh, so differential. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, there yeah. could be lifestyle reasons why a skinny person would. Uh, would have shortness of breath. Yeah, an 80-pack year history. Right. Well, and there, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, having a, like, acute coronary syndrome or something like that, it's like, yeah, obesity is a huge risk factor. Like, right. mm-hmm. why would you just assume that that would be the thing to go to? It's just lifestyle change is not lifestyle. an acute treat, not a treatment for um, acute, uh, you know, shortness yeah. right. of breath. So I, just disclaimer, I think I misunderstood the question. Oh, that's okay, that's okay. <laughs> this is what happened in the, in the ethics discussion as well, just so you I guys do know. think, though, like, just, really quick i think that we all have biases mm-hmm. um and i think you know for me uh, you know i was just talking about it before we actually started um, the podcast but on emergency medicine when people come in and it's like ugh, like are you, you have gerd like go take some omeprazole or really you have a viral like sore throat and you don't even have a temperature why are you here? <laughs> um, go to quick care. And so I did find myself feeling frustrated um, at how the system is used. Mm-hmm. You know, someone coming in with, they had been walking a lot and they had like two blisters on their feet. Mm. 
and and so I think that that was really hard for me to not get frustrated. Um, and I think that it's our job to be honest with ourselves if we yeah. do have these biases and try not to have them. And I hope that, you know, it doesn't come out. I don't believe that it came out when I was talking to these people. Um, but it was an internal feeling. I completely hear you on that. I can imagine that like you spend so long training to do a certain job and it seems like an under, like a poor utilization of your time and skills. And I wonder if that's more a testament of like just a general lack of knowledge about science and health that's kind of pervasive in the U.S. Because if more people had even a basic understanding of like a body and how it works, like they would know how to seek out that information and not go to someone who gets paid like $600 an hour to solve it. Well, I think it's, it's like a misuse of the system. Like, it's just a abuse well, it, of the system sometimes too. Like the guy with blisters, he told, like straight up told me, yeah, I don't, I didn't have money to buy any like supplies for my blisters. Right. So can you guys just give me some stuff? So let's, let's, so let's also remember, of course, that there are people for whom there are few choices mm -hmm. um, in how they get their medical care. Mm -hmm. Um but um, I, I just want to say, like, mm -hmm. to our pre-med listeners and our med student listeners and to anybody who's listening, I think it is incumbent, I think as is implied by Jen's question, it is um, incumbent upon you to explore and understand your implicit biases and your explicit biases, mm -hmm. no matter what they are, because they affect your patients. Mm -hmm. You can decide that they don't deserve you in all your glory as a physician, um, but that's not what you signed up for to do this. So check your privilege, check your assumptions, and um, you know really examine them, really make an effort to notice when you are thinking negative thoughts about people, and then actively ask yourself the question, does this person deserve those negative thoughts? Um, I guarantee you that you will discover things about yourself that um, you should know and that aren't necessarily pleasant. I, and and mm -hmm. I'm, mm -hmm. I am, of course, like everybody on this planet, am guilty of implicit biases. I notice things in my, that are going on in my head that I am not happy with. Um, mm -hmm. I like to, I like to, I mean, and I, and I can't avoid them. There's no way for me to avoid them. I'm never going to become a perfect human being, but. Well, to me, like that, the huge thing about that is like, you, you just said, you know, I, you can't ever avoid them. And I think sometimes people feel like if I don't acknowledge this to myself, it doesn't, then, it, then it means I'm not a bad person. Right. Um, I would, yeah, I would go, I would hope that it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, acknowledging them to your to yourself is a way to mitigate the problem. And that makes you a better person and a better yeah. physician. It's definitely difficult to be like, oh, yes, I'm a liberal, open minded physician. But I have these um, I have these thoughts and preconceived notions about this particular group of marginalized people. That's mm -hmm. a very, very difficult thing to ask someone to do. Yeah, they should. But it's, and it's mm -hmm. and it, and it takes work, too. And, I, and I'm probably better mm -hmm. at it at 48 than I was at, you know, 22, 30, um, but you know, <laughs> I feel 30, like... but, uh, I mean, it's just something you got to work on, you know, it seems like the sentiment that we're all expressing about how important it is to interrogate your thinking and how you perceive people. 
it's not, I mean, it's important. It's disproportionately important probably in healthcare because yes. it affects people's lives and, you know, their comfort. But it seems like a hundred percent of society would benefit if we all did that mm-hmm. and like looked inward to figure out what we might be doing wrong. No one wants to do that. Though. Nobody wants to do no that. No question. Yeah. Well, thanks, uh, Jen, for that wonderful question. Um, next, we heard from Eric this week, who's wondering if there were any life experiences that pushed you towards or prepared you for med school. Let's hear from uh, Robot Eric. Hi, Robot Eric. <laughs> Hi, Dave and co-hosts. <laughs> Thank you for the weekly entertainment slash brain food slash insight. I always look forward to your lovely voices. I have a question and or discussion topic I would love to hear you guys chat about. Medical school applicants are so frequently asked about their significant events, highlights, choose your favorite term, and how it influenced them to pursue medicine. Now as medical students looking back, which of your life experiences shaped you into being prepared for this journey, or which experience is most like being a physician? Was it teaching or sports or finding memes? Or is it an experience unrelated to your life before medical school? Thanks for your time and hope to hear from you. <laughs> no, was... need, no need to hope. You will hear from us. What are you laughing at over there, you? <laughs> life changing experience. Tricking my friends into eating cat food. <laughs> yes. Well, certainly somebody's life was changed today. Thank you. Um, I feel like Robot Eric's life experience was like a self-actualization as AI. He, he <laughs> achieved sentience. Today. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. This. He's right. This is a. This is like. You know. What. Why do you want to be a doctor? What. There's. There's sort of an impl- implicit assumption in that question. Like, what. What changed you from a normal person to a uh, somebody who wants to torture themselves in medical school? So I think it's a pretty classic narrative in like med school applications <laughs> where you're like this one life-changing moment like yeah. that's when i decided okay i definitely did not have that moment <laughs> like at all it took me like four years like a, a period of four years before, like between me thinking like oh i could do that and me being like yeah i'll do that <laughs> and it was just kind of like a bunch of like little things like all like me seeking out more of it me like I don't know. A grad, it was a gradual progression from gradual like progression. Yeah, it definitely was to... not like a lightning bolt, which right. made yeah. writing that that application a little harder. But <laughs> same. But allow me to read you everyone's um, personal statement. From a young age, I have always loved science and learning, and I love learning and I love school. But one day, I thought that I was going to do something that involves learning or biology. But one day, I did volunteering and I helped the person, and this changed me. And now I can figure out I can do volu- that as a doctor. I can help people and do the science thing. Yes. Please take me. Very or so, yeah. or I had my thank you, uh, robot Irisa. I, that was yeah. No, I've literally just read to you about like fifty percent of all the personal statements I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And thirty in and, and an additional thirty five percent are like I I broke my leg and exactly. the doctors really helped me and yeah. or. Mine was, yeah. I don't know, I I was a very hard-headed person um, as an adolescent. I think we've talked about Get this. Get out sure. of town. No way. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I was, I always had a good heart, but I was kind of arrogant. Like, I was successful with music and other stuff. And right, right. I just felt like I kind of, it's like, oh, I'll, I go, I'll go where I please. I'll do what I do. Um and my heart was in the right place, but I definitely enjoyed pissing people off. Um, and you so, troll. I, oh yeah, I was like the ultimate troll. Um, oh, I wish I could go back in time and see. Oh Tony yeah, the troll. Um, 
so I think for me, actually, it took failure um, post high school mm -hmm. in like a very dramatic and real way mm. um, for me to be humbled enough to be able to relate to people and actually relate to myself and like look at myself and kind of go through that process of really learning who I was, not who, like what facade did I want to use right. when presenting myself in any situation, but like what makes me tick um, beside, I, I mean, I still enjoy pissing people off, but. Um, in a more lighthearted, less, uh, more mischievous than evil now. Did you well, just, it was still, it was always mischievous. Okay. It was never, it was never full on evil. Wait, you just realized that you just like cured yourself of psychopathy. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> nice. I don't know if I was going down that road. <laughs> um, but I guess I could have seen myself doing medicine before that. I just think I would have, if I didn't experience what I experienced in, you know, I failed recital attendance. My one job was to go to six uh, recitals, music recitals, mm -hmm. and get a paper signed. I went to zero. So that that's where my life was at that point. <laughs> um, and I think without experiencing that, I just would have been a completely different person because I probably would have maintained more of that arrogance mm -hmm. instead of being able to relate to you know, like we were talking about obesity and yeah, being yeah. like, that that could very well be me or the guy mm -hmm. sleeping on the street. Like, there's not that much of a difference between me and that guy. Um, so that really, I don't know, that was a huge thing for me. So, so is that something that you, uh, for instance, used during your med school application? Oh, yeah. Are you good? Good. I, a lot of people told me not to write what I wrote in my personal statement. Uh-huh. Um, because I was, I mean, I'm talking about this in a very vague way right now, but I was very explicit about what happened. Mm -hmm. um, you can be vague, mm -hmm. it's fine. Yeah. Well, we, can, we can fill in the blanks. No, no, I'm saying like... It was something that did not present you in a positive light or something. Yeah, well, it was a personal, you know, series of events that happened. And um, anyway, so a lot of people said, are you sure you want to talk about that? <laughs> and I was like, well, the way I look at it is if a school doesn't interview me because of my life experience that I feel has so strongly contributed to who I am, I don't want to be there. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want to yeah. be there any day of the week. Yeah. So it's tough. Opening up oh. about failures is, is tough for a lot of reasons. Um, but especially in this situation, I when think, you're supposed to be presenting like the best of yourself and stuff like that. Well, and, and so, yeah, there are some people who are going to go, well, uh, you failed that time. Mm -hmm. We don't want you here. Um, that's and my response unavoidable. to them would that, be like, "Well, you failed this yeah. time because you <laughs> yeah. should want to be there." Yeah, I mean, it, you know, the the thing to remember is, um, those schools missed out, mm -hmm. as you say. Didn't we? Didn't we have this similar conversation like maybe last year about like a student who was wondering whether he should talk about overcoming yeah. alcoholism yes. in his personal statement? Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, and, and we've had we've had other um, people on the show. Um, who talked about their struggles with things like mental health and all that kind of stuff, um, and who and for whom that discussion proved at least temporarily costly mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, they didn't get the residency they wanted or, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. The thing to remember is that, well, yes, eventually that did cost them in the short term, but in the long term, they are now doctors. And so... 
you know, if you're willing to take that risk and, and totally, if you're not willing to take that risk, hundred percent understand because it is a risk. Um, I'm a risk averse person. I probably would have, you know, talked about something more, um, I don't know, kosher, self-serving, kosher, <laughs> har, har. you know, <laughs> I probably would have talked about something more self-serving. I probably would have talked about, you know, some success or something like that, that I'd had in my life. Yeah. And for, um, for me though, it's like, and it worked out. Okay. I, you're only, here. Well, I only, I interviewed at two places and I got into two places and that was just fine. And yeah. so I don't know. And I'm sure that there are situations that maybe it wouldn't work out that well, but for me, I, I would much rather go through life being authentic and true to who I am to like an unabashed, like complete openness because someone doesn't like me, then at least I know that they don't like me and not the person that I was pretending to be that they might like or admit to med school or give this job or whatever. Right. It's fair. I don't know. Aline, was there something, some life experience that pushed you towards where you got where you Honestly, are now. it's not that sexy, but I, I knew from an early age that like doing nice things for people just made me feel great. So in that sense, it was very selfish. Like I, I just, it just made me feel good. Mm -hmm. And the thought that hit me after college when I was working various jobs is that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to help people, but medicine is probably the most universal. And I think that was really meaningful to be empowered with a set of skills that you know I could use to help literally everyone I know like from the person on the street to my family to a friend you know whatever the case may be but um, there was a moment that I ended up writing which was when I was working in the ICU at the NIH Clinical Center so it has an it, it's a hospital technically but like it's not a traditional hospital like where you or I would go if we had a health problem it's for like people with very rare, very complex conditions. And it's kind of like their last stop after they've tried everything else. Mm. And so add to kind of that baseline of patient population, if anything else goes wrong with their care, then they go to the ICU where it's really complicated. So a lot of the care team was made up of people who like were critical care doctors, but also actively ran labs and not just any labs, but like some of the top labs in the world. So when they would round, which is where I would um, like be exposed to their, um, to their expertise they would literally bring like some of them would bring files of papers that they themselves had published hmm. and would quote from their own work or like oh guys i was looking mic drop <laughs> it was amazing like they would be citing their own work or each other's work because they'd been you know working together for such a long time and i just found that amazing to really be like almost literally on the cutting edge. Yeah, I was gonna, like my first thought was like, oh, how egotistical. But on the yeah. other hand, there's not a lot, probably not a lot of other work yeah. that they can cite. There's mm -hmm. literature on it and you wrote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. My uh, first thought was mental masturbation. <laughs> 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 like, hey man, gonna quote your paper today. <laughs> hope, you, hope you enjoyed that shout out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had very different reactions. Yeah, well, I'm sure, I'm sure that factored a little bit. Yeah. But, I got you what know, you're saying, though. But yeah, yeah, it was, I don't know what you're saying. I like yeah. to quote myself. So. <laughs> I mean, you could picture someone being like, well, in this book that I wrote, let me just open it to the very page. <laughs> I carry it let with me, me wherever read it, I read go. Read it a little bit. I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, well, all that, like, this is a textbook case, and I wrote the textbook. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> and sold it to you for $200. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I were to treat one of these cases, 
this is what I would think to do. Oh, wait, I did treat one of these cases in 2001. New England Journal of Medicine. You should read it. Good article. Uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, so. gosh, I love hipsters. <laughs> um, so that was cool. It was it was cool to be at the intersection of science and medicine in that way. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, that's great. I, Eric, I hope... Uh, I hope that helped in some way, or yeah. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for these great questions. We well, we really like that. I really like them. Mm -hmm. anyway. I was going to wait till the end to thank them, but I'm glad you. Okay, let's keep. You going. jumped in <laughs> to thank them. No. I'm Hi, just girl. so thankful. We have another bit of feedback from Armand. Hi, Dave and friends. My favorite test anxiety strategy is a little strange, but it has gotten me through everything from the MCAT to all the infectious disease exams, that is learn all of the bacteria. Let's all of them. It. Let's hear it. The strategy is simple. Imagine the worst possible scenario, and then realize that the worst possible scenario isn't really that bad. That would not For example, this me. medical school <laughs> exam anxious. is very dense with information. What if I fail? I imagine if I fail. I'll have to take the test again over the summer, or do a repeat year. Is that really so bad? I'll come back way more prepared. I'll be way more motivated to do well next time. I'll still be alive and breathing. As you can see, it's easy to take this strategy over the edge and get rid of all of your motivational good stress. But I like to think that even if everything goes wrong, I'll be okay. Once I've outlined the worst possible outcome, I build on it, and make sure that it doesn't happen. In this example, I would just make sure I got above whatever I needed to barely pass the exam. Then I would work to get better than barely passing, keeping in mind that no matter what, the absolute worst thing that could happen is that I would still be alive and okay in the end. And that's it. At I really core, admire your The optimism. idea is to push anxiety out of the way, which is very difficult, and harness your good stress to keep you focused. All the best. Can't wait to catch up on the podcast over the break before we start MS2. Well, I didn't know robots got anxiety. I, <laughs> I like how we all took in a collective breath because clearly everyone has something to say about this. So. I just, I, I think, I mean, let's get this out of the way. He's absolutely right. Failing a test is not the worst thing that can happen to a med student um, or anybody. And yes, in the end, you are still alive and kicking. That was my first thought when I was listening to this. I was like, this person is so much better prepared for life than anyone I have ever <laughs> I met. actually do this exact same thing. Yeah, I do it too, actually. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you do? Like well, similar to this? Or? Kind of similar. Like right before an exam, I'll have like a notebook or something. And I'll go through and be like, I'm worried I'm going to fail this test. Okay, what happens if I fail the test? Um, well, then I'm going to have to retake it. And what am I afraid of? Well, if I have to retake it, what if I fail again? I'm going to fail the clerkship. And I just like play it out to like the worst case scenario that I'm like homeless and like <laughs> to like literally to like the most like the depths of my mind. Yeah. And this, then, is, this is why I think we all reacted because we're like, oh, we can imagine way worse than that. I have a great well, imagination. Yeah. yeah. But the thing I'm is really like creative. writing it down. It's I think there have actually been studies done that prove writing that stuff down it's like it gets it out of your mind yes. so that you don't have to worry about it when you're taking the test yeah 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 i have a friend who literally when she gets stressed out she'll write her concerns on a piece of paper and then crumple it up and put it in the trash and like she's literally mm -hmm. throwing her worries away literally oh. compartmentalize it like yeah. 
like you stay over there for now i'll yeah. be yeah. with you later it's very but serious props to like our like Ar- armand armand yeah armand because that is like you are extremely well adjusted and i really admire that mm-hmm. i personally can't do that because like whenever i think of the worst case scenario i tend to catastrophize and oh, it ends yes. up with the entire train crashing and everyone i dying. can totally relate to that i am i am a catastrophizer and mm-hmm. i also have circular thinking mm-hmm. uh when that happens and you can ask my wife how many yeah. times i've like suddenly spiraled up into some ridiculous like <laughs> and someone has to like talk you back yeah. from the edge a little I, bit she doesn't even bother anymore she's just like shut up <laughs> thankfully we have a really great counseling center and support team here at u iowa um <laughs> i like that so when we when i uh, sent this out to the sent this question out to the group um a couple of people eliza mann and laura quast had apparently simultaneously googled like what if i fail out of med school <laughs> <laughs> what can I do if I fail out of med school? Well, and uh, that pop that population exists. There yeah. are people mm-hmm. who have dropped out and have posted about it online and oh. talked about what else they did. I try not to read too much of that because it sounds really inviting. Be like, <laughs> oh, I wasn't happy, and then I did this other thing, and after things are taking great. step one, I was like terrified oh that gosh. I was going to fail. I have very little self control when it comes to googling things, so I think that I've read pretty much every article there is about what happens if I fail step one? What is the next step? Like, can you still get into some residency programs? Like, it was bad. I wonder if Google, if if the rise of the internet and search is a net positive for medical students in terms of like- Definitely negative. Like, uh, in terms of this. All right, so I think (laughs) I'm a pretty like low anxiety person at baseline. Like, I don't get anxious for like shelves anymore. I don't like, my test anxiety kind of like burned itself out like somewhere in the middle of like M1 year. Like we just had so many of them. (laughs) And- It was an actual fizz like- Yes, I I don't care anymore. Um, and then step happened mm. and you spend like six weeks studying like 14 plus hours a day and like it's such a high stakes test because if you do poorly you can't retake it and this is like what your mm-hmm. like all of your residency applications are going to see and be based off of. Mm-hmm. Um, you can retake it, can't you? No. Only if you, if you fail. fail. So if you, if you can, know you're going to do bad. badly, some people if they if they get practice scores that are bad but passing, they will intentionally fail so that they can take oh, it. That's yeah. even worse. Like, some programs won't even look at you if you failed the first attempt. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Right. Anyway. So, actually, I, like, actually, step one, I, like, felt okay after. And, like, every, I think everybody had, like, anxiety. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Step two, however, I just took it, like, like, a little over a month ago. And for some reason, I came out of this test just feeling so much worse than I felt about step one. Like, I literally, I, like, got into my Jeep and just, like, sat there and was, like, like, that like was I just exactly sat there me for, after like, step one. like, 10 minutes just being, like, what do I do? And I had to, like, I had to, like, take it in Des Moines. So it was, like, a long, sad drive back home. <laughs> like, like, and, like, I do, 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 that was don't exactly, get anxious do, do, do. very much. But, like, yeah. I was having chest pain. Like, because you don't find out for a month. They make you wait a month to find out your score. And, like, spoiler, On purpose as part of a, like, character building exercise or something. Yeah, yeah. I got, like, the exact same score on both tests. And I just, like, felt so much worse about one of them compared to the other. And Why? Like I don't like I just I felt I just, horrible after step one, yeah. so I hope that's not true for me. I feel like I feel yeah. like how you do like is not really correlated to how you feel like you did. Oh God, that's tests. true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and so like, and I just like like I 
I don't know. I definitely did what Tony did, and I was like, "What happens if you build them too? <laughs> yeah. Like, what happens if you like, like, I don't know, like, like pass by one point, mm-hmm. like all of these things. Like, what's the screening out? Like, I think we did the exact same thing. Um, I haven't taken step two yet, but instead of ten minutes of sitting in my car, I literally sat in my car for an hour and a half. Oh. <laughs> I could not move because I was like. During the test, I kept, I was really good at being positive and being like, all right, the next block is going to be your block. You've it's got be this. Better. Yeah, this we one's got gonna it. Be better. And I just kept waiting and waiting. And then the test was over. And I was like, my block, <laughs> my block never came. Um, like that just never happened. I never felt like, wow, that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I was a bit of a wreck. And then there were the, I night- was totally a wreck. There, was, yeah. there were the nightmares for like two or three days yeah. after that I would wake up in the middle of sleeping and remember an answer for something that I got <laughs> yes, wrong. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the same thing. Oh, it was. Oh, and then guys legionella is like my enemy right now because for step one like i had a legionella question that was like is it flagellated or not and mm-hmm. i couldn't like it oh. that was not on sketchy i didn't remember <laughs> sketchy brilliant <laughs> yes mm-hmm. um and then i was like screw that and so on step two i got another question about legionella like he had classic <laughs> legionella he had just like changed a water filter that week salt, <laughs> salt wasting salt wasting he had Did he like, have diarrhea he had diarrhea and a headache <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh obviously legionella and then like the question stem was like his legionella antibody tests yep. are pending what else do you do and it like it just gave me like a picture of like oh my it's God. like an x-ray and his heart was ginormous and i was like what the heck is this like the heart was just huge like clearly he's got some sort of like heart issue going on <laughs> <laughs> and like it's not just legionella that's happening consult cardiology <laughs> yeah yeah and i just like had no idea and i was like why why legionella <laughs> like, the worst to like so in like step one from I think it was from like the second block to the third block I had one question about I think like thyrotoxicosis or something related to the thyroid in during pregnancy and I was like oh man like it was one of those things that I was like I know I looked at that at some point mm-hmm. I can't remember it right now and so I went read about it on my break had another question but didn't retain it when I had read and I was like I literally looked at this 10 minutes ago and I can't remember it it was the most tragic yeah that is when that not only that but that's when the panic must set oh it was hard to like reel it in at that point when I was like I can't remember something that I looked at five minutes ago the worst part was when I like looked at it was one of the tested it and like over half of my answers Mm -hmm. were marked I had marked and I was like that's the worst yeah and like I didn't even like get through like a second pass on those and I always get through a second pass and then I was just like what do I don't even know what those ones that I like don't and now it is oh, in the hands yeah. of the gods. yes at this point I'm just like why don't I just start only marking the ones that I'm sure about right actually yeah <laughs> it it'll be, be faster yeah so mm-hmm. the thing that made me react when you were telling your story Rachel is that I don't know if you guys experienced this but you would like read through a question stem and you're like, oh, headache, whatever. I got this. This is totally legit. And then they give it to you in the last sentence and you're like, oh, that's just great. And then the question. And they ask you which yeah. antibiotic to use. No, they're yeah. like, what is the mechanism of the proper treatment for this disease? Yeah. Those are the worst when they don't so tell you. So not even the, the proper treatment, but. Right. It'll be like they don't tell you the disease 
And then they'll say, what is the mechanism for the drug often used to treat uh, what this patient has? Yeah. So it's, it's like, like level yeah. need to know what disease it is, need to know the treatment, and then you need to know oh, how it works. It. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, inhibits the 30S subunit. Yeah. <laughs> It's rocky. It's rough. It's we rough, got guys. into the weeds on that question. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> a lot of feelings came up. Wow. Yes. All of everyone. the feels. I've never seen here. you. Like, I didn't see you guys worked up. Like, I have never seen you guys so worked up. We ever are since passionate after about that. Yeah. That really drove me crazy to feel like I knew what I, like I had correctly identified the disease and then they gave it to me at the end. That drove me crazy. That made mm -hmm. me so mad. Don't even get me started on standardized tests as a general entity. <laughs> um, that could I, I could talk about for probably an entire day. Yeah. Next episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll set that aside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, s listeners, uh, Eric, Jen, Armand, thank you so much for your questions. Love questions. Um, so please keep them coming. I you know like I I'm just I'm just having all the feels for the questions we got this week. Thank you. They were Very wonderful. Very insightful mm -hmm. and thought-provoking. Yeah. provoking and most importantly, discussable on air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, listeners, if you want one of these nifty short coat podcast key fobs I've been uh, uh, pimping, uh, you can have one. It's all yours. All you have to do is leave a review in your Apple Podcasts app or post about us somewhere on the interwebs where med students and or pre-meds hang out. Send us a screenshot to the shortcoats at gmail.com, just like Jonathan, Sierra, and Joshua and others did this week. I will send you one of your very own. Um, thank you for helping us out on this and for listening. It means a lot to us, uh, for sure. And if it's a bad review, the fob will be broken when you get it. <laughs> I... <laughs> or it won't even be a fob. It will be some cat poop. Yeah. I can provide that. We got yes, some extra thank cat you. food here. It'll, yes. be an, it'll be an ob. It'll be an ob. No, an ob. Also, thank you to uh, Rico99Suave, Serac77, Awesome Escalapius, and Megwall for your reviews. Uh, I'm not sure any of you sent me your addresses. Maybe, or I'm not sure some of you sent me your address. I want to send you my address, Dave. <laughs> if you didn't and you want to get a key fob, you know what to do, but you don't have to send me your address. I, and I won't creep on you. I will discard that e email. There will only be a moderate amount of time spent looking at your house on uh, Google. Uh, oh, hey, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, Just make sure you step out into your driveway so that when we Google Earth you, we'll see your face. Right. Yeah. Just a friendly thing. Look yeah, up at the no sky. Big deal. Meanwhile, we'll be putting a link to the topics we've discussed in this episode show notes at theshortcoat.com. But for now, <laughs> that is our show. Tony, Arisa, Rachel, Aline, thank you so much for taking time to hang out with me. Thank you, especially to Arisa for the goodies, except for that cat food thing, <laughs> which I will never forget. Which Rachel and I won that competition. Yes, we did. But everything else and was Dave really good. Dave and Aline are the big losers. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't call yes, Aline so. Elaine this week. I'm yes, very proud. Well done. Oh, yeah. that's very exciting. Yes, I did notice. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you listeners for making us part of your week. If you like what you heard today, we hope you've, we've earned your subscription. Not only do we give out free key fobs, but we give free advice, you know, so it uh, might even be good advice. So send your questions or whatever to the shortcuts at gmail.com or you can leave us a message at 347-SHORTS-CT. We'll talk about it on the show. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government and ongoing support from the Writing and Humanities Program. Our executive producer is Jason Lewis. Our opening music is by Dr. Vox and our closing music is by Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week. Thank you.